Well, welcome to Susquehanna Valley Church. We are thrilled to have you with us on what is a really cold Mother's Day. Like that's not supposed to happen, so maybe it's like movie and dinner and uh, day. I don't know, but um, I, as Connor said, we so appreciate the role of a mother or um, even those who act with motherly influence. We're just incredibly thankful for how God designed this all to operate and how he works. And I know in my own life, uh, like Connor, man, uh, I was blessed with an incredible mom, um, and then likewise had so many influential women in my life, which uh, you know give give praise to God for on a regular basis because it's an, it's an awesome thing. Um, a couple of things I want to let you know about coming up, um, and the first one is a mask update. And, and I know um, so many of you are just even tired of hearing the word mask or whatever. Um, and uh, just want to let you know that on June 20th, we're anticipating. Um, as long as things continue as they are, that we'll have a mask optional service for second service. So that might change some plans for you. Um, and we'll, we'll give more details uh, in writing. We'll get it out there. But I uh, just wanted to give you a heads up so that you can anticipate that, that we're looking to do that. And that's on June 20th. Um, on June 13th, we've got a meeting uh, after second service. It's just like an SVC update to fill you in on some of the things that God's been doing and uh, anticipate some of the things that you might want to know. It's kind of a midpoint in the year. And so that'll be right after the service just for us to be able to keep you up to speed with what, what's going on here. Um, yeah, so, so uh, speaking of keeping you up to date and up to speed, I want you to know that my journey to discover which is the best chicken sandwich has taken a step forward as I went and I, I tried the Popeye's chicken sandwich. So now I don't know, like if you knew this, but like for those of us like myself who are Chick-fil-A lovers, um, there has been some blasphemy out there that that Popeye's was somehow better. And so I thought, you know what, I wanna, I wanna try this. I wanna see um, what it's like. And so I went and, uh, and I was, it was in a long line, so I anticipated a bunch of other people uh, were, were either taking this test like myself or they just wanted lunch, one of the two. Um, and, uh, and so I waited my time. While I was waiting in line, I thought, you know what, I, like, I wanna make sure I order like what people say they should order. So I ordered like what to get at Popeye's. And it came up with a recommendation, of course. And then also it said the second one was man killed over Popeye's chicken sandwich. I was like, yikes. <laughs> and so I read it and here there was like when they came out with the sandwich, like there was literally a fight in the line over a chicken sandwich where somebody uh, was killed. They were beaten up and killed. And I thought, whoa, that's a, that is, this must be a good chicken sandwich. Like, I thought, I better get two in case somebody attacks me. That way I'm ready. Like, there's, there's enough for both of us, right? So I had it. And it and, all right, so here's, here's the deal. It was good. It was very good. But it was not Chick-fil-A good. Now, they had, better, they had better sweet tea. They had better iced tea, but it was not Chick-fil-A good. And, and so I was, left, I was left, especially after reading that article, I thought, man, this is going to be like the greatest thing that I've ever tasted. And I was like, it wasn't quite, wasn't quite there. Um, I find in life, a lot of times, there's always that it just wasn't quite what I wanted thing, right? And, and maybe it's not about chicken sandwich, but it's about something that you experience on a regular day where there's things in life that want, leave us wishing for more wanting more, that, or I wish this was a little bit different, or I wish the timing was right, or I wish vacation didn't have this go wrong, or um, I, I wish my job didn't have this little frustration, or I wish my kids listened the, the first time instead of the 50th time. Or, you know, there's just so many things in life that we wish were, were different than what they are. 
wish people respected us a little bit more, treated us differently, and you know, I wish the car worked and didn't break down when I needed it to. And, and so there's always this longing for things to be better than what they are. And the, the Christian answer to that is that what the, the Scriptures teach is that when evil and sin entered the world, that it, that it corrupted everything, and nothing is the way that it, it should be as God fully intended it to be. Like, have you ever, have you ever taken like a, a gallon of water or a pitcher of water and you just drop a, a bit of food coloring in and it just, it disperses and it changes the color of the water? That, that's the scripture's answer for how the world is the way it is, that that when sin entered the world, it just kind of, it, it diversed, it, it diffused out into all of creation, leaving this, this sort of nothing is the way that it should be taste in our mouth where, where until Jesus like comes back, and, and this is the teaching of the scriptures that Jesus is, is going to come two times, once, uh, which he already did, and then a second time. And, and so the idea is that when he came the first time, he came to work with the problem of, of evil in our hearts, like the sin in our lives, and so like the food coloring that, that changed and corrupted us. And then a second time he'll come and, and he'll change the dynamics of it, how it in, in, infiltrated the world. And so what what we see then is oftentimes in the scriptures is Jesus, we're starting this parable series. Jesus is teaching parables to teach us about this sort of time between the time that God came to do one thing first within us as, as his followers, and then he's going to do another thing later. And so these parables, Jesus are teach, he's teaching us about what we should expect in the meantime. Like when life is in a state of flux, when there's this sort of unfulfilled longing that, that is part of all of our experience in every shape uh, and, and form that we experience it in a life. And so what do we do? How, how do we live? And so we're going to read a parable in Luke 18 where Jesus is saying, look, you're not alone in this. I'm with you. Don't give up. Don't give up. Because if life is never exactly as you want it, and there's always something that's, that's kind of not the way it should be, you could become discouraged. And so Jesus is going to say, don't give up. And the key, the key for us to not give up in Jesus' mind has everything to do with prayer. And so let's check it out, Luke 18. It says, then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. Now, rarely does Jesus give us the point of the parable at the front of the parable, but here he does. Um, he said, in a certain town, there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared about what people thought. And there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with the plea, grant me justice against my adversary. She had some sort of probably financial disagreement where she was without rights, and, 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 but she was right, and, and she's just crying out for justice. And so verse 4, for some time this judge refused, but finally he said to himself, even though I don't fear God or care what people think, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually come and, and attack me. And it might be a physical attack, but it's probably more likely a, a, just an attack of his character. In verse 6, it says, and the Lord said, listen to what the unjust judge says. And will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? Let's pray. Our God and Father, I ask that you, you give us wisdom to understand what your word is teaching here. 
Lord, I ask that we would be a people of perseverance, that we would have just this ability to, to stick with you through the, the difficulties of life, through the ups and the downs, Lord, as we, we experience the pains and the frustrations at different points, that we would hold strong to you. And we ask that in your son's name. Amen. I'm not going to lie. When I read this the first time, I kind of I, I wrestled with this a good bit. I struggled with it. I read it to some of the other staff members, and they were like, "I'm going to need you to teach that to me," because it seems like it seems like what Jesus said is that that He'll always answer every prayer, and and that God will always do the thing that you want Him to do to prove Himself to you whenever you want, and. And somehow that doesn't really mesh with our experience. I mean, we might have God has answered our prayers, but then we're thinking, what about these that, that are left unanswered, and how do we respond to that? And so I just kind of wanted to, to start with, to, to kind of address this tension that we have about prayer and when it's answered and when it's not answered, and what that has to do with our faith. Because I find a lot of people turn away from God, and they turn away from faith because they feel like God hasn't met them in an answer to a prayer in the way that they want, in the time that they want, or, or so on. So I just wanted to kind of pause to give a little, this is sort of side teaching, because th this passage isn't really about that, but we'll come back to the passage in a minute. Um, I wanted to look at where we see unanswered prayer in Scripture and, and sort of the reasons behind it in, in different ways. And so we're going to move through this kind of quickly, but I would love, if you have questions about this, I'd love to give you sort of a more in-depth answer to this. But um, so reasons that we see, there's seven reasons that I, I see where God doesn't answer prayer, and none of this is contrary to what we just, contradictory to what we just read. So the first one is this, um, is that God doesn't answer prayer when we want what God doesn't want. When we want what God doesn't want. And I know that's kind of obvious, but the, the idea of when Jesus says, you know, God will, will come to your come to your 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 come to answer you, come to your defense, it, it doesn't mean that that if you want something that God doesn't want, that He's gonna give it to you. That, that's sort of contradictory. Um, if He's trying to develop and evolve my character through patience, and, and I don't want patience, and they say, God, take this away from me, he's, he's not going to necessarily give that to me. I remember one time praying with a, a guy, and, and I prayed, God, like I help, I asked that you would, you would help this guy to just to become a patient man of God, and the, the, the guy I was praying for interrupted me. He interrupted me. He said, stop, don't ever pray for that. I don't want patience, because if you pray for patience for me, then I just don't, I don't want it. I think, well, you clearly need patience. You didn't even let me finish the prayer till we got to that point. But <laughs> look, look, here's the thing. God has bigger plans than we do. And his kingdom is, is above what we might want in this world. And so simply because we desire something and we ask God for something doesn't mean that God's going to rechange his plans to give us something else. I mean, even Jesus says, he says, guys, if there's any other way, take this cup, take this wrath, take this coming cross from me, right? So, so we might long for something, but, but it doesn't eliminate what God wants. In fact, you see this in, um, in the Gospels where um, one of the disciples' mother comes up and says, hey, can my, when you rule and you reign on the throne, can my two boys sit at your right and your left hand? Well, you can say, well, Jesus just said he answers prayer, so he's got to answer that prayer. No, that's not how this works. 
It's not that Jesus rearranges his whole kingdom to meet every one of our desires. His highest priorities and what he's doing in history are, are above that. Uh, the second reason is we want it when God doesn't want it. It might be a good thing, but God has different plans in the moment. Or maybe he's going to develop us and change us and grow us and and we'll see an answer to prayer later in life. Hebrews 11 is essentially this, this chapter of the Bible that's, that espouses the faith of great men and great women in the Scriptures. Every one of them had prayers that weren't answered when they wanted them answered. And yet they maintained incredible faith because this timing was different. Then there's third. third this one is huge. We are unwilling participants within our own prayers. We're unwilling participants with our own prayers. And this one, like, you know, I'll pray for like a family member that they would come to faith and they, they would come to know God and they would change their life. And, and I think half the time God's going, right, that's kind of why I put you where I put you and gave you the, the heart and the insight and the wisdom so that you could be part of that process. We're unwilling participants. Fourth, fourth one is uh, sometimes we'll, we'll ask in our prayers to override human choice. Look, God, God's not going to make somebody else do something because you asked him to. That's part of him being God and, and letting people be people where he gives them freedom to do things as, as they desire. Number five, our approach has been casual and not reliantly desperate. Where there's, there, there's not really a faith and a passion behind it. And you see here in this text, this woman cried out. She pleaded out to God. She continued, or to, to the judge, she continued to, to plea and cry out there. Uh, number six, our priorities and our behaviors prohibit us from experiencing God's, God's blessing, where he's not going to answer that because our priorities are out of skew. So if you take a man who's obsessed with finances and wealth, and, and he's praying for wealth, and, and if he loves money more than he loves God, God's not really in the business of enabling him to love something else more than he loves God. So why would God give him something so that the man would continue to trust money and wealth and, and to pursue pleasure in that more than he loved God? Because his priorities are out of skew. The behavior one, the, the, there's a line in Scripture where the first Peter says, look, man, I, I'm going to be real with you right now. God says, if you do not live with your wife in an understanding way, he will not answer your prayers. He will not hear your prayers. Your prayers are inaudible to him. And so sometimes I know there's guys who are going, God didn't answer my prayer, and I'm wondering, how are you treating your wife? Are you laying down your life for her? Are you gentle with her? Are you trying to build her up, or are you trying to intimidate her and control her? See, God's not going to say, oh, yeah, yeah, you prayed, so I'll give it to you. Sure, no matter, I really don't care how you treat your wife. No, Priorities. God cares much more about how we interact with the people closest to us in life. And, and, and so we've we got to understand that. Seven, um, in Scripture, there, there's this example between two people who pray, and one of, one of them is this Pharisee who's, who's checked all the religious boxes, so to speak, and he, he stands off, he, he, he stands there and he says, God, thank you that I'm not like this other guy over here. And the other guy over here was the sinner, who, the, the tax collector, and who stood off at a distance and said, I, I, God, I, I'm a wretched man. And Jesus says, which one of these two do you think went home justified? Which one do you think had their prayers answered? Well, the one over here. The one who didn't come to God based on, based on his self-righteousness and just how great of an, of an individual he thought he, he is. 
Now, with that being said, with that, with that list up there, I would argue that in actuality, God answers far more prayers than what we even stop to realize. I think with the way that I, at least I am personally, I'm so busy thinking about the next thing that I want and the next thing in front of me and the next thing that I stop, that I don't stop to think about, wow, like God has, has answered incredibly my prayers over the years in just amazing ways. And I start to think about it and start to list them out in my head. And I'm just like, this is incredible. God has given me so much of what I cried out for. Maybe not when I wanted it and maybe in a different way than I wanted it, but in a better way than I wanted it. Where Romans says that there's times where we don't even know what to pray for and the spirit within us intercedes and says, no, that's not what he really wants. That's not what he really wants. And I remember a 16-year-old me praying for God to give me a, a wife that I thought I wanted or a girlfriend that I thought I wanted, and, and that didn't work out. And, and then in the long run, he changed me and grew me to a place where I would actually appreciate and take care of what he had given me, and he gave me something better. But we don't always see it like that because we want the immediate. We want, we want right there and, and right now we want it, and, and we, we get frustrated when it's not the way that we want. If this is a challenge for you, I would, I would really, 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 really encourage you to read Psalm 22. Psalm 22 is all about unanswered prayer. I'm just going to read two verses. Um, it, it says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Now, th- this is actually, uh, this, is, this is two things. This is one, David's prayer, and two, this is Christ's prayer on the cross. Two unanswered prayers. Why are you so far from me, saving me so far from my cries of anguish? My God, I cry out to you by day, but you do not answer by night, but I find no rest. Psalm 22, the rest of it is this sort of journey through the psalmist's heart as he doesn't see the answer to prayer, but then he goes back to an understanding of, but this is who God is. This is who he is as I know him to be. And so if I'm not getting what I'm asking for right now, then there's more to this story than what I'm understanding and what I'm seeing. And I don't need to to end this. I don't need to walk away from this because I didn't get exactly what I wanted exactly when I wanted it. Here's the deal. If you want this kind of in a nutshell, God answers prayer like like a loving father, not like a fan. Not like a fan. He's not here to just give you everything you want so you, so you think he's impressive and incredible. He's, he's not, he doesn't just want you to be wowed with him and like him because you've given him what, he's given you what you wanted. He looks at it and he says, well, I, if I give you this now, you really wouldn't appreciate it. You, you'd take it out of context. You, you would think this is the point of life. So, so actually, I'm not gonna give it to you right now. Or uh, or maybe it's not even what I really want for you, or it's contrary to what I want in my kingdom. And, and so he looks at us in that way. And so I don't in any way want to discourage us from praying at all. I just want us to understand what prayer is meant to be. Because what Jesus, when, when Jesus makes these statements, the scriptures make these statements, it's not, it's not that God turns into a genie in a bottle. And his job is to do everything that you wish, and now the greatest priority in life is whatever you want your kingdom to be. This is really about his kingdom. And within his kingdom, he says, come to me. Come to me and cry out to me. Plead with me. 
In fact, this is, this is really the whole context. Uh, I encourage you, never just look at one verse in the Scriptures. Look at, the, look at what the full passage is saying. Look at what the context is saying. Because this whole preceding and following things are about the kingdom of God. This, this whole thing starts out in the middle of Luke 17 where some Pharisees, they come up to Jesus and they say, when do you think the kingdom's going to be here? When's the Messiah going to sit on a literal throne? When is he going to get rid of the nation of Rome and their tyranny over us? When are they going to politically be what we want? When are we going to have peace on earth? When is, when is the Messiah going to do Messiah things? We talked about this uh, the, the other week. That's this not how Jesus operates when he says Messiah. He's not coming to fix, rem, remember the, the two stages? There's the stage where he's going to deal with the evil in our hearts, and then there's the stage where he's going to deal with the evil in the world. He's not, in the first time, he's not coming to do second time things. And so the first time he shows up, he, the, the, the Pharisees are saying, when are you going to do second time things? And Jesus' answer in Luke 17, you say, Where, where's the kingdom? When's the kingdom? Jesus says, the kingdom is in your midst. It's right in front of you. As I'm working to regain individual allegiance to me to deal with the problem of evil and sin in your heart through the cross and resurrection. Then he goes to the disciples, you won't even have to worry about missing the second kingdom. The second kingdom is not going to be like a little candle. The second kingdom is going to be like a flash of lightning across the whole sky. And God comes back to judge the problem of evil in the world. Couldn't possibly miss it. What's the natural response that you might have at that moment as Jesus is, is, is teaching in this sense is, is well, Jesus, when? How long? And, and so then Jesus tells a parable about how to deal with the in-between time about how to deal with the seeming injustice and the wrongs that happen to us when we, we don't get things that we feel like we deserve and how do we, how do we work with this? So this parable is like this 50,000-foot view of human history where, where God's saying, Jesus is saying, let's just back up here. Like, I've done first kingdom things. I'm going to come back and do second kingdom things. Don't think that just because it's a while that this is going to be easy or or don't give up. Remember, this whole thing is about not giving up. And it really, really, he's, he's saying to pay attention. Uh, ne next week, Matt Kepke is going to preach about this idea of, of being awake and, and, and looking forward to and anticipating this, this kingdom. But right here, what we see is Jesus is saying, look, if you want to persevere from kingdom stage one to kingdom stage two, if you, if you want to stay with you, if you want to hang with me, you have to rely on me the way that a widow relies on a judge. If you want to hold fast, you'll have to rely on me the way a widow relies on a judge. It's her only hope. It's her only hope. Her only chance is, is if this judge brings justice, and not just little justice, but ultimate kingdom justice. I, I want to read it again as we look at it from that standpoint. Then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. By the way, Luke 18 is followed by faith like a child for the kingdom of, of God. He said, in a certain town there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared what people thought. And there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with a plea, grant me justice against my adversary. For some time he refused, but finally he said to himself, even though I don't fear God or care about what people think, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually come attack me. And the Lord says, listen to what the unjust judge says. 
And will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice and get it quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, second kingdom, right? Will he find faith on earth? See, Jesus anticipates that his followers might give up. That they might not get all the immediate answers to prayer that they want. And they could, they could throw in the towel because they have doubts. And you could be there. You could honestly be there right now. But the promise is twofold. One is that immediately, when you, when you suffer an injustice, immediately, God, God vindicates. He makes you right. He does that immediately. And then practically speaking, that'll carry out throughout all the world when he comes back and he returns the second time. And so what Jesus is saying is, is that to persevere through this side of life, he wants to set our heart's expectation and our prayer solely on the coming kingdom and how the coming kingdom is the solution to every injustice that we face. That one day there, were, there will be no, I wish this wasn't the way. One day there will be no bad days. And he sets our hearts and our prayers in that, in that coming kingdom. See, really what Jesus says is he wants a whole group of people who are desperately crying out for the greatest ruling and judgment when the king comes back, where Jesus himself will rule on the earth and there's no impartiality. There is no, there, there is no widow whose cause is not heard. There is no race that's oppressed. There's no person that's downtrodden. There's no person that's disrespected because when he rules, those things are gone. He says, don't give up. Keep, keep praying. Set your heart because when I come back, it'll happen. It'll be quick. My judgment will be quick. And so the idea of this text in Luke is that in an age when you may not see immediate justice, may not see it, you could give up because you assume you won't give ultimate justice. And Jesus says that's not the case. He will defend you. Certainly, after all, if this, this, this horrible judge is willing to just get annoyed and tired of helping this woman, this is sort of this contrast by using a bad example to say, well, if, that's, if, that's a, if the bad example ends up working out, then certainly a, a good example will work out way better. If, if a widow's got to bother a judge the man, a child of God with a loving father? Absolutely. This is worth you hanging on to. And certainly God will answer the calls of his beloved children. How much more? How much more? See, John Nolan says it this way. He says, he does not say in so many, in so, he does not say it in so many words, but it's clear from the context that his prayer is about end time resolution of the problems of the present, and not simply about answered prayer in, in the normal sense. No, what Jesus is doing is he's saying that our greatest prayer should be for the kingdom to come. Our greatest prayer should be what he's going to do when he comes back. And, and again, we don't take a single verse out of context. We look at it in all of its fullness where Jesus in Luke 11 already taught us how to pray. He already taught us the content of our prayers. Well, what's the content of our prayers? He said to them, when you pray, sir, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your what? Kingdom come. Your kingdom come. And he centers our prayers. He centers our cries for justice on the coming kingdom of God. 
I think a lot of the discrepancy between my prayers being unanswered and, and, and what the Scripture's teaching me, honestly, I'm praying for my kingdom to come, not for his. I'm praying for a world in which I get everything I want in my way, in my timing, at my call. And this is the antithesis to how God called us to pray. Father, hallowed be your name. Let you be set apart. Let you be revered. Let this be about your name, not about mine. Your kingdom done. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This is a cry for God to get things the way that he desires, the way that he calls. And what it does is it sets your heart past the difficulty and past the suffering to a coming better experience. I just, like, I, I'm just going to step away for a second and just, just say this. Um, if you are a person who on Facebook recently has thought it was a good idea to post a, a video of you getting a shot, there's something wrong with you. I love you, but look, you've got to be considerate of the rest of the people in the world that are afraid of needles and don't want to be scrolling around looking at cute videos of little kids and puppies and then all of a sudden there's a needle. It makes people pass out, all right? So I understand for your cause, you're doing something that you think is good, but like I was driving down the road the other day and there was a billboard with a, with a picture of somebody getting a shot for the vaccine. And I'm like, do you realize that somebody could pass out right now and they would die because they drove off the road? This would be a horrible thing, right? I, I don't like needles. I don't like them at all. In fact, when I was a little kid, I would dread getting them. I, I like, they had doctors and nurses had to come and literally physically hold me down to give me a shot. I couldn't stand needles. I really don't like them at this point, but I, I understand that it's just part of life at this point. Um, when I, I, I was thinking about this and, and this, what Jesus is teaching, where he's saying, like, you know, the, there's these injustices, these pains that we feel now, and, and he's cry out for the kingdom. Um, and the way that I kind of got over, got through shots as a kid was I would always think about something I was about to do that was going to be really fun. And I was going to set my heart and I was going to set my mind. And I, I, would, I would go in and I would say to the, the nurse and I would say, I don't want you to tell me anything. I'm going to put my arm out. You just do what you have to do. And I don't want to know anything about it. And I would just sit there and I would think. And I remember one time vividly thinking of a puppy we had just gotten, this little basset hound who was such long ears that he would run and flop and trip over his own ears. And I remember just sitting there thinking about what I was going to do when I went home and, and played with him. And, and I was just going to set my mind there. And th this is, look, in a, in a much more serious and significant way, this is what Jesus says, that we set the content of our prayers on coming kingdom that it's there, that my cry for justice is there, that all the wrongs of the world are there. And I set my faith fully, fully on that. You see, what the scriptures make just exceedingly clear is that God loves faith. He loves when we trust him through the hard times. He loves when we hang with him, when we're not getting all the answers that we want, when we want them. He, he loves when we rely on him, when we anticipate how he's going to be there for us. He loves it. Which is why the, the question at the end of this parable is, the real question is not whether or not God will act with justice towards his children, but whether or not there will be children with reliant faith when he returns. Jesus doesn't have any question about whether or not justice will be handed out. 
He says, the, the real question is, will the Son of Man, when he comes back, when second time kingdom stuff happens, will there be, will there be kingdom people there? Will there be people who are consumed with that? I mean, we, we talk about love languages a lot when we, when we do pre-marriage counseling. we got a wedding coming up this weekend I'm excited about. It's just a cool couple. I'm, I'm, I'm thrilled to be able to have the honor of marrying them. Um, and, and we'll talk through, like, make sure you're, you're considering the other person. We talk through love languages, the way that maybe, like, words of affirmation mean a big deal to her. Maybe they don't mean anything to him, but, but out of love for her, then you should express your love in a way that she feels most loved, or, or vice versa, that you would understand who they are and understand what's important to them, that that would be a big deal to you. Like, if you want to know what, like, God's love language is, faith. Faith. God, I trust you. Psalm 22, I, I cry out to you, God, I don't understand, I don't see this, but I know who you are. And man, God loves it. I mean, he says, will I find such faith when I return? That's, that's the whole point of this here is our heart's expectation on the coming kingdom. See, our highest concentration of our greatest problems must be the kingdom of God. Where people of faith are expecting God to do great things. And that's one of our values. We're going to be a people who, who have faith. We're going to expect God to do great things. The, you know what this parable is saying? Expect God to do the greatest thing. Expect him to do the ultimate thing. To bring justice throughout the world. Throughout history. As we, as we wrap up, I just, I just want to say one thing that I think this this prayer, this type of prayer, this kingdom focus, this forward focus prayer does, I think it just greatly increases our fortitude for life. Our ability to do, deal with the, the tough things when I'm not getting what I want, when I want it, or, or just life's not what I want. It just, it gives us a fortitude to be able to move through those times with ease. It was just on a long drive, and as the further south you go, the, the more water towers you see at different places, and Water towers are just these big, ugly things sitting on the side of the road, and it's like, why are they here? And you know why they're there? You know what? You know what a water tower is for? It's because most people want water all at the same time in the morning when they wake up, and the evening when they go to bed. And so, if you try to get water all at the same time, and the whole world's getting water at the same time, the whole city's getting water at the same time, the pressure just drops. Everybody's taking water out at the same time. So, so the water tank, the idea is when nobody's using water, it stores all the water up. So there's extra water available. Then when everybody needs it, all the water goes out and the pressure stays and, and all of us can have water. These sort of kingdom-oriented prayers, you know what they do? They're, they're just like filling up the tank. It just fills up the reserve. So then when the, the, just the life isn't the way that we want it and it just kind of breaks down and it's not it's the opposite of what we like. The reserves are there. And they show up and, and God's there for us and he's with us through it. These prayers increase the reserves so that we have the fortitude to make it because Jesus is pleased. Please, don't give up. And how well you stick with us has everything to do with how much you pray. Let's pray. Our God and Father, I pray that we would be a people who don't give up. That we would just depend on you and rely on you like crazy. That we would see what your kingdom is and what you call us to be and, and how that should be the center of our life and, and what this is all about. It's not my kingdom. 
I'm not going to sit on a throne and reign one day. This is about your kingdom. And I pray that we would just be obsessed with that. We'd be preoccupied with it. And Lord, as our prayers would, would just focus in their direction, Lord, I know that's going to just well up with faith in us. That that's going to be this reserve for the times when we feel like giving up. Lord, I thank you and I praise you for your just amazing, incredible love. I thank you for this parable. I pray that we wouldn't give up. In your name we pray. Amen.